worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a special episode of Enterprising Individuals. We're off the beaten path today. We'll still be returning next Wednesday with a supplemental episode full of spooky and scary Star Trek monsters for your Halloween-y listening pleasure. But we've got an extra bonus show for you today. If you live in Europe or in the UK, or if you've been listening to this show recently, you probably know that Destination Star Trek was last weekend. Destination Star Trek, or DST, is the official Trek convention of Europe. It's held in Birmingham, England, and we had a woman there on the scene last weekend. Ella Pearson, my co-host for our Star Trek Discovery recap show, Discoverage, was on hand at the National Event Center in Birmingham doing press coverage for the event. And it was a big show this year. It's a big show every year, of course. But it was extra special this year as the event featured the world premiere of What We Left Behind, the hotly anticipated documentary featuring the cast and crew of Deep Space Nine looking back on the show's legacy 25 years after its premiere. And the cast and crew of DS9 was in attendance at the show, as was the cast of Discovery. That's their first appearance at DST. Uh, William Shatner was there, Walter Koenig, Nichelle Nichols, and stars from all the Trek shows. And our reporter Ella was there, in the press conferences, on the red carpet, stalking the halls of the NEC. And she got the chance to sit down one-on-one with Andrew Robinson, a.k.a. Garrick, and Max Gredenchik, a.k.a. Rom, to get their thoughts on the documentary and on 25 years of DS9 and their place in the pantheon of Trek. And you will get to hear those interviews and my debrief with Ella herself, recorded right after the convention. All of that is on our show today, so stay tuned. Now, Ella is an American abroad in England. She's doing her best to assimilate, so to speak, and live like a real Londoner. I, I think she's got the tube figured out at this point, but she's not a native just yet. And I wanted to get the opinions of some real subjects of the crown about Destination Trek and about UK Trek fandom. So I called up William Turland and Rick Palmer of the UK-based Trek podcast, 10 Backward. They were also in attendance at DST, and we had a conversation about the con, what it's like to be a British Trek fan, uh, the importance of having a pub inside the convention center, and just how many things you can try to get William Shatner to sign. We also talked about the state of international fandom today and about some of the pernicious, toxic aspects of fandom today, which is something they've addressed on their show and what we can do about it. It was a great chat. I'm really chuffed about it. I think I'm doing that right. Ella would probably know. Anyway, here's our talk. And stay tuned for my talk with Ella and her interviews with Andrew Robinson and Max Gredanchik. Let's get underway. I'm joined on the show today by William Turland and Rick Palmer of the 10 Backward podcast. Will and Rick, do you mind identifying yourself individually for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Will Turland. And uh, this, this man... Wait, wait, I've got to identify myself. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hello, uh, listeners to Enterprising Individuals. I'm Rick Palmer. Those are the sound of their voices. Thanks, guys, so much for being on the show. Can you explain for the listeners what you talk about on 10 Backward? 
Well, we we talk about all sorts of things actually. So so we um, so there's four of us in in Ten Backward all together. There's myself and Rick. Uh, there's a, another guy called Rick Everson, uh, and my wife Gemma Turland. Um, and we we sort of vary between. Sometimes we'll look at quite a broad topic, like we'll look at uh, say Captain Cisco, for example, or we'll yeah. look at the the Marquis. Um, war. What? Yeah, we did. We did it one which was just about war. That ended up being sort of a multi-part episode. We, we underestimated how long that would take to talk about. Yeah. And then, and then sometimes we'll try and sort of dial back the the amount of research we need to do a bit and just look at an an, an individual episode. Yeah, um, I say we have a we have a pretty broad range of subjects from like we were saying from episode reviews to themes to to um particular characters things like that um we had uh, recently we had a, a a guest on who who worked with um the the real life paul stamets so he was an expert in sure. my mycelium so uh, occasionally we'll have that kind of episode too where we'll interview somebody and uh, we, we're trying to get more of those actually i think we've got we've got an episode coming up where we're going to be talking to an astrobiologist so oh wow so yeah, we so a, a really broad range of things. I think in general, what we try to do is keep it pretty relatively lighthearted and yeah, and sometimes and relatively irreverent too. I mean, we all we all love Star Trek, absolutely. I mean, that's why we're doing the podcast. But at the same time, we like to think that we can kind of you know critique it fairly as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, and we we all you know we all enjoy hanging out as well. And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, just having having a few drinks and just talking about Star Trek, and we kind of hope that feel comes across in the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to some of your previous episodes, and you were having a discussion on a recent one about the topic of uh, toxic fandom. Uh, that was yeah. it's a yes, fascinating yeah. discussion on your show. People should check it out, and it's very similar to a lot of conversations that I've had recently about that on this show and elsewhere. What I mean, you were talking about being positive fans before. What ultimately do you think is the source of people being toxic in fandom? And if you want to limit it to Trek, that's fine. I know that toxic <laughs> fandom is a problem across a lot of fandoms today. I guess some. I guess in a way, you're. Uh... That you're um, a person's love for something can give them a sense of ownership, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and when somebody at kind of does something to that thing that you don't like, I, I guess you feel threatened. And um, that's, that's that's the general idea I get I get from from hearing about it. Um, um, yeah, and it doesn't and it extends to kind of people kind of being. Um, not behaving very well at, at certain conferences. I mean, I've heard stories of things happening at Doctor Who conferences and other 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 kind of conventions where where someone will make like a like a snide comment about something or criti- mm-hmm. or criticize somebody for for liking something. I, I, I think it's um, I, I, I think it just comes from a sense of an over a sense of over ownership and um, and maybe not having the a kind of a social circle which allows them to kind of hear another side maybe they you know they 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 perhaps have a little bit of a of a of an echo chamber in terms of the conversations they have with with other people that like star trek so there's there isn't that person to kind of for them to have a constructive argument with interesting well would you agree with that yeah i would i would and i'd say um I'd say it, it can come from a from a positive place you know it can come from from having a real passion and 
and uh, an excitement for a for a subject like Star Trek. And then, and then I think, yeah, if you the, the longer you've been a fan of something, the maybe the more defensive you are of it. And it's, it feels like there's an element where you you love something so much that that everyone else, the way everyone else likes it, is wrong. Yeah. Like they're, they're they're not enjoying it properly. They're not yeah. watching the right episodes, and and I don't know. You just lose sight of what of what being a fan of something is in that way i think yeah, yeah and I, I think i think as well perhaps um it might be that i mean when i was when i was growing up um when i was young and when i was a teenager um i mean i i've been a, a star trek fan for most of my life and i can tell you that being a star trek fan at school was was not it did not help you be popular <laughs> um, so i so i have to admit a part of me feels like I, i've suffered for my for my for my fandom, <laughs> but now but nowadays I think I think being nerdy is is pretty, it's 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 in the mainstream, isn't it? I don't I'm not sure I'm not so sure that it's it's the same. So whether whether some people feel that you know it's that the the new people that new people that are coming into to Star Trek and liking it are, are doing it wrong somehow or haven't or yeah. haven't suffered yeah, en- or haven't... haven't suffered enough for that for their fandom. I yeah. don't know. I mean. I mean, whether that's a part of it too. I mean, it, it shouldn't be. I mean, it's or 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 if you do feel like that, then you know you, you don't. It, it's the extension of those feelings out of out, outside. You know, external. It's like externalizing those that negativity. I think is a big part of toxic fandom because I imagine most people probably have you know get a bit upset by certain things, but the trick is not to externalize it, just to kind of check yourself and realize. That it's you know it's silly to think that way and, and move yeah. on, but some people don't move on and they do externalize it, and that's that's where it can become toxic. Yeah, and and social media is a the perfect platform for that sort of toxicity, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all have negative opinions about say Star Trek Five, for instance, but uh, yeah, sure. when you go on a ten paragraph rant about it, yeah, that's not not great. Something else that puzzles me. <laughs> I get puzzled by how calcified some people's opinions are about certain things. Like we've got, you know, a new Star Trek show, um, the first in 13, 14 years, which is a cause for excitement. But there are people that are like, oh, things don't work like that. Or the uniforms, oh, the endless discussions I've seen with people about uniforms. When I'm sure back in, you know, the early 90s, there were people that weren't happy about the fact that we would be following a space station, that our characters would not be flying on a ship somewhere. And yet everything seemed to work out there. That's that's a good point. Um, uh, when we were at DST, we were, we got to go to a premiere of a documentary about the making of about Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and um, and that documentary be, be, kind of began with um, some of the some of the actors reading letters from Star Trek fans about the show, and it was it was uniformly negative. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. So I think it was. It was, it was it was very much people saying, well, Star Trek's meant to be about exploring new worlds, not not sitting sitting on a space station, not doing anything. <laughs> right, right. And and we all know, I mean, you know, Deep Space Nine became a, a great series. I think. I mean, one, yeah. maybe my maybe my favorite. I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to choose a favorite Star Trek series, but uh, you know, in 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 retrospect. Um, Deep Space Nine was was brilliant, I think, and a, and a lot of people have sort of got on board with it. But but yeah, it's it's interesting. Then and even um, when when Next Generation first came out, a lot of a lot of original series Star Trek fans were were completely against the idea of of sort of rejuvenating Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I, it, it's funny to think how somebody could probably flip from from being excited that there's a new Star Trek show, the first one in over a decade, and then flip pretty quickly to to hating it. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like, like I mean, like you're saying it. I mean, the most important thing is that that there is a new Star Trek series. I mean, bef- I mean, before Discovery was announced, I honestly wasn't sure if we'd see one for for quite a while. I I wasn't sure if there was, you know, if if CBS or Paramount were were interested in taking it beyond the Kelvinverse film. So, yeah. you know, you have to feel pretty lucky that there is that yeah. there was that there was that desire to make it and you know, sure Discovery's Discovery's not perfect, but very few shows are in the first season and it, I, I think sometimes people lose sight of that and it's it's fine to kind of have it's fine to find things in that show that you're not a fan of but the most important thing I think is that it it's there it exists and it's mm. without 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 a show like Discovery it's not like they're going to make more Star Trek so the better Discovery does the more chance you have of there being more TV shows and Surely one of those you'll like, so. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, if you're that kind of fan. So it's so hard to judge people's responses because they run the gamut. Like people were sort of negative about Discovery. Uh, it seems like I've heard a lot of people are not excited about the animated show that they just um, announced. But then everybody seems to think that, or at least most people seem to think that the Picard show is a good idea. So I'm not sure if it's like related to specific aspects of the Trek universe or if there's things that they don't that are sacrosanct that they don't want us to go back and 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 see again. Uh, it's hard to predict how what how people are going to react. Yeah, definitely. And I, I suppose I think maybe the the animated series is something that we've I suppose we have seen that before back back in the the original animated series, mm-hmm. um, which I think it's fair to say that's that's a bit of a mixed bag. But there's there's some great episodes in sure. there. It's always fun, and, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And it it feels like maybe people are having a having a hard time picturing what what this anime this new animated series is is going to be like and is it going to be a, a, a straight up comedy like is it going to feel like something like like Futurama maybe or is sure. it or is it going to be more is it going to fit into the Star Trek universe and i just think let's let's wait and see you know yeah i mean it's it's not it's not judge it yeah we haven't seen anything of it I, it could be great yeah i mean it's it's the creator is uh, one of the guys who worked on Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty's a, a great show, I think. Um, you know, it has a, it has a, it's, it's, it's very well written. I, I, I think that's the, really, I mean, the, the crux of any show being being good is that it's, you know, it's well written and it's well acted or, or put together. And yeah. I, 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 see no, I see no reason why this animated show shouldn't be. And it's, it's something new, isn't it? It's a, it's a slightly different take on a format that Star Trek's already tried. And yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you can't, you can't kind of um, go back to, you can't try and repeat something that's already been. You can't try and. Yeah. So, I mean, if if there was an animated series, it, maybe it should take this kind of direction rather than be rather than be dramatic. I, I I don't know, and I'm I mean I'm I'm curious as to how ideas get to a certain point, what the factors are that that, <laughs> that, that, that kind of. 
that make a studio green light something because there must be so many ideas out there that they get pitched especially yeah. with something like star trek yeah i don't so, i don't mean to be cynical but i think it's uh at least in this case with cbs it's people love patrick stewart he's remained active and vital for 25 30 years so why not a show with him and then uh rick and morty is popular why not rick and morty star trek which it's fine i think that worse shows have started from from uh, uh situations or worse situations than that but um, I'd be interested to see if it does have a tone like Rick and Morty, because Rick and Morty is, and I and I do enjoy Rick and Morty, and I know it's not um, it's just one of the writers, but Rick and Morty is so cynical, and it's about how uh, bad everything is, and yet how life can still be good sometimes. And Star Trek is so positive. <laughs> Star Trek is about how, yeah, ultimately we've conquered our problems. There will be problems still, but we're still going to make it. So that they, they seem like opposite ends of the uh, polar spectrum to me. Yeah. Uh, have you have you um, seen a series called Final Space? I've heard about it. I, I haven't seen it, though. So that's um, that's an animated show mm. um, that's a, essentially a comedy. Um, and it's really good. I mean, it's, it's funny and the characters are daft most of the time. But sure. underlying it all is a is a pretty compelling, dramatic story. And I, I, I get the impression that and Rick and Morty, too, has plenty of, of drama in it. Mm. It's. It's. I think it will just depend on the craft of the people making it, and oh, sure. I see. Yeah, I see no reason why it shouldn't be shouldn't be good. And, yeah. yeah, and you know, if it's if yeah, if, if it turns out that it's that it's not to everyone's taste, there's still a lot of other Star Trek out there. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you, do, you can always yeah. you can always oh, go back to the other seven hundred odd episodes <laughs> and, and forget about that. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of positivity, let's move on to something a little more positive. Uh, the Destination Trek convention was last week in Birmingham. Uh, it's the largest UK Trek convention. It was even bigger this year. There were a whole host of Trek personalities at the show. And the DS9 documentary, of course, as you mentioned, uh, What We Left Behind, made its premiere at the con. And you guys got to see the doc, right? We did. Yeah, we did. We we weren't going to originally because it's, um, I mean, everything about that, that kind of convention is expensive. Oh, yeah. so, you know, you, you pay to get in that, that basically just gets you in the door yeah. and you, you kind of go with a certain budget and you just, but then, but then once you're there, you, you sort of get caught up in it a bit more. And, um, one of our, <laughs> one of our friends managed to get a, a, a free ticket for, um, for the premiere of that doc, and then he gave us his ticket, and then we sort of thought, right, okay, well then if we split the cost of some more tickets, Two tickets between three, us, three yeah. of us, then right, okay. right, we could just about make it work. <laughs> sure. And yeah, we 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 did get to see it, and I gotta say that was um, that might be the highlight of the whole the whole thing for me. I, I absolutely loved that documentary. It's yeah, it's really good. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and they they did say to us, it's because it's not out on general release yet. Don't don't drop any spoilers right but you know you can you can tell people how much you liked it and and we we did yeah a sure. lot um yeah part of the documentary the the writers of ds9 they get together again and they discuss a potential what a season eight of deep space nine would look mm, like right so that those that, that's the element of it i think that they didn't want you to talk about yeah it's... sort of the details on that because like essentially the sort of spoilers for a theoretical first episode of season eight I, I, I wish we could talk about this because that, that, all that stuff was amazing do you do you see that becoming part of any uh future storytelling on trek tv or possibly like an animated series i think that would be the best place for it because um it would it would allow most of the 
cast to come back i think and sure you know sure. and, it, and, and um it would it would get around issues about how cisco would look if he's been if he's been with the prophets all this time sure you know little things like that yeah so, so and and um you know and you could have i mean like jeff coombs could come back he could voice the character and it would, it would probably be a, a, it would be yeah less less stressful on actors like arnold shimmerman and and um, and uh, Aaron Eisenberg, they wouldn't have to get into like four hours of makeup for every <laughs> <Right>. show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I I think um, I think an animated a continuation of DS Nine as an animated show would be would be perfect actually. I'd I'd love to see it, and and especially having seen that documentary, I was in such a Deep Space Nine mood after seeing that. I would just love to see that show continue. I just I just don't know that they'll that they'll do it. It, f- it feels like there's a lot of other Star Trek shows on the on the cards already. And yeah, I mean, but I guess fans are really want the Deep Space Nine to be um, re- what's it? What's the word called when you make it HD? Oh, oh um, remastered. Uh, so, yeah, remastered. Remastered. Yeah. 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 So there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people who would like to see Deep Space Nine remastered. But for for the cost of doing that, you probably could. Do yeah, a, you could do an animated. You could do an animated. Too. Too. I, I think yeah. I'd rather, as much as HD Deep Space Nine would be great, new Deep Space Nine would be oh, yeah. even better. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think it depends. I mean, if there's, I think if there's the, if if there's the, if the fandom kind of shows its appreciation and and, and it can be seen as, a, and it can be seen as a product that's worth doing, I I don't really see what would stop them yeah yeah just maybe the logistics of yeah i mean i guess but i'd love to see it i can't i can't imagine that documentary going to any star trek convention and it not getting a standing ovation and yeah and and, and, you know so yeah i mean i'm 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 optimistic I'm, i'm hopeful that it will happen i just um have to wait and see i suppose yeah 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 was there anything else at the show that you were particularly looking forward to seeing uh, so um, some of the people I, I I got to I got William Shatner's autograph, so okay. that was cool. I got to very very briefly sort of meet him and say hello, and and uh, it's it's really great to meet you and stuff, and that was cool. The the guy in front of me had um, so to get William Shatner's uh, autograph was was sixty five pounds, which I guess is about. Eighty dollars. Yeah, I think sure. so. Yeah. Um, and I had, I got, so I got one autograph. Um, but the guy in front of me, he had at least twenty William Shatner photographs. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so, so the guy, so the guy in front of me, he spent well over a thousand pounds on William Shatner autographs. And I was, I was genuinely worried at one point that William Shatner was going to say, "This is, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. You'll have to, <laughs> yeah. you'll have to come back." Like, ah, no. But, but. To be fair, he he, he soldiered on, um, and yeah. So met William Shatner, met uh, met Andy Robinson, who Garrett. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was that was great. Um, I also met Gates McFadden. Um, oh, so oh. It, it, in terms of in, well, got their autograph. Um, that was really cool. Um, Will you got? To... Yeah. So I, I I I was also really the thing I really wanted to do at this at this convention was to meet Shatner. Because I just thought I I don't know I don't know how long he's going to keep doing these kind of things. Um, this could be my last opportunity to do it. So I was I was really excited to to get his autograph and you know pro- interact with him for probably less than ten seconds. But yeah, you know right. that's, <laughs> it's good enough. Yeah. Um, but that that was really exciting. I mean, this was um, this was our first 
sort of full Star Trek convention. So I've got to admit, I, w- I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Um, but it was the, the whole thing was was just great, really. Yeah. So today one, the Friday, it was a bit quieter than. Uh, that's the quietest day, I guess. Not everyone yeah. can make it because some people have work, I suppose. True. So that was good. Um, yeah, we, uh, it was a bit confusing. Like you spend, we spent a bit of time trying to work out how to get autographs because it it wasn't particularly obvious. <laughs> either 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 that, or we were just a bit kind of just dopey. We just yeah, we just, yeah <laughs> flummoxed. We spent, yeah, we spent some time reading the information signs and then kind of <laughs> asking people, but still not really understanding what they told us because they're, they're sort of a virtual queuing system. So you get a ticket. Um, which is a bit like in a, in a supermarket. If you if you're buying cheese, you get a ticket from the sure. cheese counter, and you sure. go back and get your cheese. It's sort of a bit <laughs> like that. But then you, what we hadn't understood is that you also have to go and buy uh, like a like a photo for the for the, the actor to yeah, sign. Right, right, right. We thought maybe that wasn't. We thought maybe you'd pick that up when you got to the to the desk. Uh, so, but but no, so, so that was really confusing. But once we got <laughs> once we got the logistics sorted in our head, then it was a lot more straightforward. Yeah, and then by the second day, I think we were a bit more used to the to the site and and the layout. Um, and then kind of like on the Saturday, definitely, I saw for some reason it suddenly twigged that there are all these people, and many of whom have gone to a lot of effort to dress in amazing costumes and. You kind of realise that you know it's sort of it's okay to go up to people and say, "Excuse me, is it all right if I get my photo taken with you?" Yeah, it took sure. it took until about mm. like the afternoon of the Saturday for it to to twig for me. I don't know I don't know why it took so long, but I, I guess it was just a little bit you know not done this kind of thing before. And but that was a real highlight too, like um, saying hello to some people. And we met some people that we were friends with on Twitter. We met them like, in person, and that was great. And um one of the one of the good things about the the site where the convention was is that it had a it had a pub so so if you're a bit tired after walking around for a couple of hours you could you could go off and go to the pub and sit with these new friends that you've made and just talk about star trek and also the the bar was full of people dressed like characters from star trek so it felt a little bit like like being in ten, forward. Being in ten yeah. forward, or okay. <laughs> nice. So that's a that's a good thing about conventions, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I so I did spend some time pre- pretending I was on the Enterprise, you know, drinking drinking synth the hole with <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah, that 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 was great. I think the sort of social aspect of it was maybe something I wasn't quite expecting. Um, yeah, that, that was re- really great. That's a big difference then uh, between conventions in the UK and conventions here, because uh, we don't have a pub, and if we do, it's you know <laughs> it's some hotel bar that's connected to the uh, convention center and it's overpriced and stuff like that. I've never been to a convention, a Star Trek convention in England, but I have a few um, UK Trek friends, and I always ask them like what UK Trek fandom is like in comparison to like for instance American Trek fandom. Um, I mean, you, there's definitely people cosplaying there. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. There was a, um, I'd, I'd say, a, like a massive percentage of people were dressed up. And I mean, we, um, so we bought ourselves some uh, original series tops. I had a, a gold sort of Kirk top. Uh, Rick had a, a a blue Spock top. Um, but I mean, that that sort of costume is, I guess, it's sort of the 
sort of the laziest approach is you just have to wear black trousers and some boots. Yeah, it was what we could afford. It was really what we could afford. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> but some of the, some of the cosplay was incredible. I mean, we there were a couple of people dressed as Borg there, and their their costumes were were amazing. Just really detailed. There was a whole there was a whole group of people as well who were dressed as characters from Captain Proton. Right. And I was yeah, like, I, right. I saw, and I was like, who are those? Who are those grey guys? I can't think of any. I can't think of many grey aliens in in Star Trek. And then it twigged. It didn't twig until I think when I got home. I was like, oh no way, they're um, it's black, black and white. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> that was really imaginative. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. And and. Um, there was a there was a couple of of people who'd done full on Ferengi makeup. Yeah, Andorians. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. Yeah. So most of the races, so there was a Breen, um, Vorta, Vorta. Great. So yeah, there was there was so many. Um, it was re- it was very impressive in terms of the difference between British Trek fandom and American Trek fandom. I'm not I'm not really sure. Maybe it, it may be kind of the the kind of other sci fi that you like. TV wise, perhaps. I mean, mm. I, I guess, I guess, growing up in America and growing up in the UK, the other shows that you might watch around the same time might be slightly different, but yeah. but not too different. I, I mean, I'm not really sure what the if the what the singular difference might be. No, I, I'm not really. I mean, it's um, I think it's hard to say, especially because this was our this was our first convention, I guess. So we we don't have a whole lot to to compare it to. Sure. But, but I, yeah, I mean, I'd say everyone at the convention was was incredibly friendly and and open to 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 chatting and and talking about Star Trek. And it was it sort of dawned on me that it was amazing to be in a place where you could you could turn to anyone and you could pretty much guarantee you could have a conversation with them about Star Trek if you wanted. Sure, yeah. uh, it, it was hard to come back into the real world and suddenly realise people <laughs> on the bus were probably not going to engage right. you in talking about DS9. So. Uh, just on that line, is there a sense of Trek being like an American phenomenon or show? I mean, we certainly like Doctor Who here in the States, but I think most fans who like Doctor Who these days, they don't even really think of it as a UK property. No, I, I think that's that's true. Yeah, um, I, I no, I th- I think Star Trek's pretty. It's pretty universal. Sure. I think. I mean, I I don't really think of it as an American show, as such either. I think, I think I get so sort of caught up and and lost in in the world. Sometimes I don't even think of it as a TV show. No, I, I, I think I think maybe it's more. It's it's yeah. I would say, it, in terms of being an an American show, I would I would only say perhaps sometimes British characters, like a British character will pretty much definitely like tea, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> um, something like that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, but it, that's fine. But no, I, I, I generally get the sense that it's just um, a, a great piece of sci-fi. It, it seems to, you know, and it came about at a time and an era when American television was, was being was being pretty creative. I mean, in the in the same decade, you know, we got Star Trek and we got we got the Twilight Zone, which are two of the two of the greatest shows ever created. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of, kind of, it never occurs to me to be a like an American show. It just seems like a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. <clears throat> Has it been a problem as a UK fan, like when you were growing up, getting access to the show, like seeing? The, the the episodes and shows you wanted to see 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, particularly, yeah, definitely when we were younger. So I remember um, there was a so 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 BBC Two had um, Star Trek: The Next Generation, I think, didn't it? And yeah. then then it got bought up by by Sky, and so we so we we lost it at a certain point. And so it, yeah, and and then I I, I remember um, when when Deep Space Nine was was first on one of our friends who would get sent VHS tapes from a from a Star Trek fan that he knew um, <laughs> in the States and we would sort of um, gather around his house and watch and watch New Deep Space Nine on these VHS tapes that had been mailed over sure. it was the only way that we could see it we were sort of a couple of seasons behind in the in the UK right. I mean it's um, it's completely different now with with Netflix and you know being able to see Discovery pretty much the same time as because um, we, we get Discovery on on Netflix in the UK, right. um, and it, it, it's sort of amazing to think we we can watch a TV show at the same time as it's it's sort of premiering in the states and then from from growing up you know being in our in our teens that was that was that was sort of unheard of wasn't it Yeah, definitely. That's funny. We, I had the same experience with Doctor Who over here when I was growing up um, because the local public broadcasting station must have bought like six or eight uh, Tom Baker serials and then just ran them over and over and over again. So as far as I knew, the doctor was just this guy with a scarf and that was pretty much it. Right. <laughs> I, I think we had a similar thing with the I think the first three seasons of Next Generation got repeated a lot on BBC Two. And I think I, th- I think the, I think they they'd done a deal so that they got the second half of um, Best of Both Worlds so that they could at least finish that story. But that was the only oh, episode man. they got because otherwise that'd be agonizing. That would be rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could have been a decade before we saw, yeah. saw what happened after Riker or you know Open Fire and. Um, but yeah, and and it's it's kind of a shame because the I'd say the first couple of seasons of Next Generation probably aren't its strongest. Yeah, so yeah I would agree. It, was, it was a while before we got to see the really good stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, you guys, for joining me on the show. Where can people find Ten Backward on the web? Uh, so we're on um, a site called uh, LowerDecksRadio.co.uk, um, and you can find us on. Twitter as well um, at, at ten backward at ten backward and then um, we've got our individual Twitter handles but, but I'd say at ten backward is the best way to to get hold of us we've we've got a, a YouTube channel as well actually but um, but I, I'd say the I'd say the best way to get to us is really through our, our lower decks radio site hmm. sure do you um, want to give out your uh, Twitter handles too yeah sure so I'm uh, I'm at will Turland. Uh, and I'm at Mr. Imhotep. Oh, and what's uh, what's what's Rick Everson? Is he at Trek Fan Rick? He's a Trek Fan Rick. Trek yes. Fan. And okay. Gemma is Gemma Turland. Yes. At yes. Gemma he's Turland? at Gemma Turland. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, we haven't been as imaginative with our <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> what's coming up on Ten Backward? Anything you guys can talk about? Oh well, um, funnily enough, we were talking about um, when we were at Destination Star Trek. We were talking about how. Our show is, we have a variety. Sometimes we'll look at some of the really complex and sort of political ideas in Star Trek. Mm. Sometimes we'll look at, we'll come up with a really stupid idea, like what's your favorite Star Trek pet? Yeah. And, <laughs> and everyone who was with us were like, wow, that's, that's a brilliant idea. You should do that. So I'd, I'd really like to do that. I'd like to do what's your favorite Star Trek pet? Yeah. Quite a low brow um, 
Yeah, so, so, that so maybe that, and like I was saying before, we've got an interview with an astrobiologist, mm. so that'll be coming up too soon. Oh, and we because we'd, we'd done a, an episode on toxic fandom, um, we had an idea to sort of explore the more positive side of fandom yeah. as well, so maybe, maybe sort of a counterpoint to that episode where we talk about, yeah, all the positives that, that Star Trek fandom can bring, so... So yeah, we've we've always got we've always got a lot of ideas for episodes on ten back because we just we, uh, we we struggle for the time to get it all together. Yeah, well, keep them coming. Will and Rick, thanks again for joining me. Oh, uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks again to Will and Rick for chatting with me. It was a lot of fun, and it's good to know that while I was frantically searching for more Doctor Who episodes, they were having to watch. I guess. Shades of Grey just over and over again until more Trek episodes showed up in the UK. So we're not so different. We're united as fans through our struggles. Just a reminder, you can find 10 Backward on the web at lowerdecksradio, all one word, dot co dot uk and at at 10 Backward on Twitter. If you'd like to follow them individually, I've got links to their Twitters in the notes for this show. All right. Let's get to Ella's interview with Andrew Robinson. Andrew is, of course, the actor behind Garrick on DS9, but he's also known for a long career of playing intense and eccentric standout characters like the Scorpio Killer in Dirty Harry and Larry and technically Frank Cotton in Hellraiser. Oh, man. Come to daddy. I mean, stop me before I start another podcast, but if you wanted to do a show that just focused on Andrew's various roles over the years, you'd be in good stead. Ella asked him about his time playing Garrick. Uh, they talk about the novel that he wrote featuring Garrick, A Stitch in Time, and why Garrick is such a popular character. They also talk about acting on stage and about his work as an educator and the creator of the MFA program at USC. They go all over the place, and here's the interview. You had to wear extensive prosthetics for your role. Is acting or the process of preparing as an actor different when you're covered in silicone and your call time is hours before you start filming? No, I mean, you, you just have to get past the fact that you are, you know, wearing a mask. And, but the, the preparation, all the, all the work of an actor is, is the same. Uh, m- myself, personally, I find it, um, it's, it's kind of freeing to have a mask. You know, whatever, whatever you know, neurotic, self-conscious tendencies I have, <laughs> you know, disappear yeah. because I have this mask. And, yeah. and there is this kind of wonderful image that I'm... I'm I'm acting behind, so no. What was your favorite part of playing a character that's in such a moral gray area? Did you ever wish he would choose a side and stick with it? Oh, no, never. I mean, the, the thing about playing a character like Garrick is that you, it affords you a subtext so that, you know, so that you, 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 you have a great sense of irony in that, I mean, not just lying, it, it's that you have your own personal agenda and you cover that agenda with your behavior. And for an actor, that's a wonderful dynamic rather than it's, it's, it's boring to constantly be saying exactly what you mean or what you feel or what you think all the time. Um, and and, it's, and, it, and, and it's, 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 as far as I'm concerned, it's the reason why the character is so popular is because people were fascinated by the, the, the puzzle of this man. I, that's definitely why Garrick is like my favorite character, so I'm glad that you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of him being very appealing, um, he's not much of a team player. Uh, was there an effort by the writers to write him in more, or was he ever written out because he didn't fit the scenario? 
No, I, they always wanted him to be the outsider, which, yeah. of course, being a Cardassian on, uh, you know, what was a, a Bajoran station. And, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like I, I, I liken it to... If there were a, a Nazi after, after the Second World War living in Jerusalem, I mean, it's... it's and, and so, he, by the nature of pure circumstance, he has to be an outsider. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's, that's part of his, his appeal. What is this man doing here? Yeah. Why is he yeah. here? He's just a simple tailor. That's right. Everything's fine. <laughs> okay. um, speaking of a simple tailor, what do you think your character is up to 25 years after the end of DS9? Oh, I think he's running Cardassia. <laughs> I, I really do. If I were to write, I wrote one book, uh, you know, that the, 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 the impulse to write the book was just to find out, you know, to, to explore, do my own form of exploration of, as to who this character is. But if I were to write another book, I, I would start out that he is running Cardassia. Yeah. That's awesome. So speaking of your book... Was that completely your idea, or was it suggested to you, you know, like how much of the plot came from your no, no, mind? No, that was all mine. Because <laughs> it, it came out of a, a diary that I started writing, just simply so I, could, I, I would have a better handle on it's, 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 it's an actor's trick. Not, it's not a trick. It's a, it's, it's a technique, you know, where you, you write a biography for yeah. a character so that you have a sense of, of context for the character, where this character comes from, what this character's childhood was, how this person was educated, and so forth. And so, out of that that exploration, I became more and more fascinated with the character, and I just started writing. That's amazing. I got a frantic text from my dad this morning saying, you know that he wrote a book, right? You have to ask him about it. <laughs> That's funny. As someone who wasn't familiar with Trek before you were cast, was there anything you did to familiarize yourself more with the world of Trek and sci-fi? Yeah, well, the thing is, not really. I, I, I looked at the, at, at the episodes, and there weren't many of them that had Cardassians. I think in Next Generation, there was really just the David Warner character. Uh, I think Mark Limo appeared in a couple, but there was very little about Cardassians. So, and, and which, which was great for me, because then I, I, was, I didn't have to follow really any kind of protocol and especially since they made Garrick um, a very different kind of Cardassian usually the Cardassians are the Nazis from outer space and they're very but but Garrick was was in a sense soft and 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 deceptive Um, All right, I definitely wanted to ask you about the relationship between Garrick and Dr. Bashir. I was just re-watching Deep Space Nine, and I watched the episode where they have lunch for the first time. Ah, yes. And he just seems, like, ready to go. Like, I don't know what his motivation is, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and maybe about how you and um, Alexander Siddig, like, played that back and forth. Well, you know, the the reason that that I'm here with you today is is because when they hired me... Yeah. um, it was only a one-off, but they were trying to find a storyline for Siddig, uh, for Siddig's character, Bashir, uh, that would involve him more in the show because they wanted to get him more involved. And so they thought, all right, we'll, we'll try this. We'll, 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 see if, we'll see if 
will hire Robinson and to play this older man who may be or may not be a spy and then see how the, the, the chemistry, you know, yeah. comes up between he and Sid. And, of course, Sid and I just fell in love with each other in the beginning. We had a great time <laughs> with each other, you know. And so it, it's like, I mean, it, it, it just clicked from, from the beginning. And, um, and, and, and the writers that produced, they saw that and they said, oh, well, let's just go with that. So if Garrick is running Cardassia 25 years from now, do you think he and Bashir are still friends? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And he probably and probably Bashir may be the only person that he'll tell the truth to, you know, that, that he will reveal anything to anyway. Okay. Um, have you watched Discovery at all? No, I haven't yet. Because I don't, because it, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't have that, uh, pr- you yeah. know, yeah. I'm well, waiting for it to come to Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the future of Star Trek? Are you supportive of the... Like, did you see the J.J. Abrams movies? Are you supportive of the direction they're taking? Well, you know, I think everybody should have their, you know, their, their take on it. So mm-hmm. I'm not a purist. Yeah. You know, because one of the things that happened to us on Deep Space Nine is that people objected that, that we went against the Star Trek concept. Yeah. Uh, you know, of, of one-night stands on different planets. And... Yeah. and which is silly, you know. I mean, everybody, you know, if, if you're going to, everybody should use their, you know, take their original ideas and, and bring them to bear with, with each show. And each show should be different so that they're not a copy, you know, of, of the past shows. So that being said, would you support uh, a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie oh, if that actually happens? I, oh, I think that, that, would, that, would, be, that would be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad that uh, we're both on board. Is there ever a question that you wish would be asked about Garrick, or is there some part about him that you like to talk about the most? You see, the, the, the questions about Garrick, I can talk about Garrick, you know, I mean, forever, and because I really know the character. I mean, you know, I, it, it's, it's a, and, and, and it's a character, you know, it's, it's great as an actor when you play a character that you come to love. You know, and that happens, that doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you play these characters and you think, and it doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not fun to play yeah. them, yeah. But, it's, but you wonder, oh, God, I have to go back into that head, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're playing a psychopath, you know, a killer, which I've done many times, you know, that's not a pleasant place to live. So, but with Garrick... I, I always felt I was I was punching above above my weight class because I think of Garrick as being much smarter than I am, and I'm a bad liar, for instance. And Garrick is obviously a world class liar. Um, so that kind of challenge. See, basically, what I'm saying is that I love to talk about Garrick in relationship to to acting, to to the craft of acting. And, and, and why that character is so, is so fascinating and why that character, I could play that character. I could, I could walk into that makeup today and, and, and play him quite happily. Yeah. I mean, the makeup is a pain in the ass, but, I mean, but playing the character definitely was not. Yeah. All right, um, so you, like you said, you've played a number of other iconic roles in film and TV other than Garrick. Is Garrick what gets you recognized the most or do people not really see you? Know, you? you know, only only people who are really Star Trek people 
you know, will will know that that was me. The, probably, and probably the role that has gotten me the most recognition is 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 the first Dirty Harry, where I played the, the, this crazy psychopath Scorpio killer, and then the the the, the British uh, horror movie Hellraiser, the very first Hellraiser. You know that, yeah. So you don't get Garrick shouted at you on the street as much as you get. No, hey, there goes Garrick. <laughs> no, rarely, rarely. Only here. If we're going by the interview time, we're almost out of time. We have a few more minutes. Um, do you have anything coming up that you can talk about? Or you no, know, I just finished. You know, um, I, I for the last fourteen years I was teaching at the University of Southern California and I created an MFA uh, program, actor training. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've just I've, I've just retired from that. Mm-hmm. So, and I've gone back to acting So I'm, and I've gone back to theater. So I've been doing theater, okay. yeah. So you retired from a job to get another job? <laughs> no, that's the great thing about, you know, at being my age, I, I don't need another job. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going back to acting simply because if the when the role is right because I love it yeah that's amazing I love that okay um given the timing of the documentary and our socio-political climate right now (laughs) what do you think the lasting legacy of Deep Space Nine is and how has it stayed relevant you know and how is it what how has it stayed relevant I think just as you know, the, the best part of... I can't speak for all Star Trek, but certainly for Deep Space Nine. You know, for me, it was the thoughtfulness of the show. That yeah. that the, the writers really tried to... Tried to craft something that was entertaining, of course. But something that was entertaining and also meant something. Mm-hmm. And, and so many of the shows, like... For instance, my two the two favorite shows that I did as as Garrick mm-hmm. were The Wire, mm-hmm. which dealt with Garrick's drug drug addiction essentially, yeah. Yeah. and and which is rather relevant, and and uh, by Pale Moonlight, which deals with the political manipulation and and realpolitik yeah. and which is our world that's that that so much goes on that we have no idea of what's going on that 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 affects infects indeed often our 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 lives i mean and in this present political climate i mean it's it's like it's unbelievable how we're all being infected by a certain kind of poison that is that that has crept into our our political bloodstream it's extraordinary and I think that's the kind of thing you know and and those are big themes those are like Shakespearean themes and Star Trek you know Deep Space Nine at best you know really tried to tackle those themes all right well I did get the official signal to wrap up the interview okay Um, I have one more question that I think will be quick I asked that same uh, question um, at the press conference and Chase Masterson said that she thought it was because uh, Deep Space Nine is because of the character's journey within themselves as opposed to them exploring outwards. Um, what is one thing you think Garrick learned over the course of Deep Space Nine? I think Garrick learned... I think Garrick learned how to love himself. 
honestly. I, I think Garrett really, you know, I mean, he was a Cardassian and, and, and his upbringing was, he was of, 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 of a certain um, class of Cardassian. And, and I think Garrick learned to come out of himself and care about others. That was such a sweet answer. I want to cry. <laughs> um, thank you so much for the interview. I had a fantastic time. It was so nice to meet you. Same here. Yeah, good luck with the rest. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks to Andrew for his time. He really is a talent, and Ella wasn't too bad either. She came up with a great question at the end of the interview. What did Garrick learn over the course of DS9? And the answer to love himself was, <laughs> well, Garrick's playing by uh, by a different set of rules, I guess. Once you take everyday moral concerns out of the equation, uh, at the end of the day, he, he's playing with a different set of cards. And seeing Andrew take him on that journey where Garrick learns his worth and he maybe smokes some fools in the process of liberating his home world it was a joy to watch andrew mentions in the pale moonlight as one of his favorite episodes and i agree it's it's great and so does new york times best-selling author and trek screenwriter david mack i talked with him about moonlight in a previous episode of this show you can find that episode on enterprisingindividuals.com and i'll leave a, a link to that episode in the show notes i've got a link there too for andrew's book a Stitch in Time as well. Like he says in the interview, he wrote it to finish the story in a way of Garrick. And it's a must for the Garrick completist. If you click on the link in the show notes, you'll be taken to Amazon. And when you purchase A Stitch in Time, a small portion of that sale will come back to us at no extra cost to you and help keep the warp core lit here. A little percentage, behind the scenes deals, that's something that Garrick would appreciate. Anytime you click through our links or the Amazon banner on enterprisingindividuals.com to get to Amazon, the same deal applies for all of your purchases. You get your Amazon swag and you support the show at the same time, and we appreciate it. Back to Ella. I talked with her about her experience at DST last weekend and getting to talk with Trek stars, seeing the DS9 documentary. We talk about the international family of Trek fans, and she's got a great William Shatner story. Here it is. Okay, I'm talking to, well, you should know who this person is by now. It's Ella Pearson, <laughs> co-host of Discoverage on this network. And Ella went to the Destination Trek convention in Birmingham of the UK last weekend. Uh, Ella's studying abroad in London. How do you have time to run off to Birmingham to do uh, Star Trek conventions? Um, I'll tell you how. Uh, in England, you spend uh, like a fourth to a third of the time in the classroom as opposed to in America. <laughs> that sounds amazing. So <laughs> I have um, like six hours of class time per week. So I have three hours of class on Tuesdays and three hours of class on Thursdays. <laughs> okay. I went to the wrong and, place for college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have so far I've had some free time. Um, we're getting close to midterms when I will have a lot less time and I'll be writing lots of papers, but sure. up until midterms, uh, it's been wild. I'm, I've been bouncing all over the place. <laughs> sure. And like the transportation situation, cause like Birmingham is what, like an hour or two away from London by train? It is. Yeah. It kind of varies depending on what like train route you take, but yeah, it's like two hours out. The ones I took at least were like two hours. Well, that's not too bad. 
No, no, not at all. Well, in England, they think it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for me, that's like nothing. <laughs> right. So, okay. So tell us about the convention. I mean, you've been to conventions here in America. Like, how are conventions different, or at least this one, in England? Um. Oh, my God. Okay. So I, yeah, I go to a lot of conventions in the U.S., but the bulk, the overwhelming bulk of the conventions that I go to at home are like local conventions, like small, I mean, oftentimes small fan run local conventions. Sure. Um, Destination Star Trek Birmingham. Uh, I mean, I don't know how it like stacks up to like Star Trek Las Vegas, but like their banners at the convention center say that it's the biggest Star Trek convention in the world. And it's freaking huge. <laughs> sure. I was looking at some pictures online of the NEC, the um, Exhibition Center in Birmingham. Yeah. And it's 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 like an airplane hangar, or it's like several airplane hangars. Like, it's a huge It is space. literally, it is so massive. The NEC is like 12 massive warehouses yeah. connected by like a, lo- a huge long hallway in the middle. And it is so huge. So the Star Trek convention was actually just in one hall. It was in Hall 5. But Hall 5 alone is like this mat, like literally the size of an airplane hangar, like massive. Um, they had mo- they had three stages, two smaller ones and one huge one for the bigger events. They had a huge long line where all the autographs were taking place. They had a screening area where Star Trek episodes were playing all day. Cool. They had like merch. I mean, it was compl- it was amazing, but it was completely overwhelming and massive. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet there's a ton of people there too. So many people. Oh my god. Okay, on Friday, this is actually really funny. On Friday, um, I met somebody I know uh, from like Twitter and Instagram, and they literally like dragged me up to Anthony Rapp, who was just like sitting at his autograph table. Yeah. Um, and then before I knew what was going on, we were just like having this like casual conversation with Anthony Rapp and Anthony Rapp goes, somebody told me that there's going to be six times as many people here tomorrow. And then I was like, if Anthony Rapp is telling me that someone told him <laughs> that there's going to be six times as many people tomorrow, there is actually going to be six times as many people tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh my God, because on Friday it was mostly like, there were photo ops and stuff, but it was really just like the opening ceremonies was the biggest thing going on. Yeah. So um, because that afternoon was the press conference. So the guests, there was like a couple, like an hour or so of press conference and then like a bunch of interviews. Um, and yeah, so on Friday there was like lots of space. And yeah, like we were able to just walk right up to Anthony Rapp, like walk right up to Wilson Cruz and Kenneth Mitchell and just like talk and have fun. And it was so crazy. And then, yeah, and then on Saturday and Sunday it was like packed well tell me about the press conference what was the press conference like it was it was like so cool so i've never uh i've never been to uh like an official press conference um and so it was like and then i also just a little bit of backstory so we know how like frantic i was although i was handling it i was handling it very well but (laughs) i was supposed to be on a very early train that morning i was supposed to be in birmingham between or birmingham between nine and ten and um so my train was at like six which isn't it's not unusual for me to get up very early or to get up in the middle of the night so i had a lot of confidence but i was having trouble sleeping and so i didn't go to sleep until i don't even i don't even know when Mm -hmm. um but I was still confident in myself to get up. Um, and I open <laughs> that morning, I opened my eyes. It was light outside. 
and I pick up my phone and it's 9 a.m. Oh boy. <laughs> so that morning I threw like what else I thought I hadn't packed in my bag and I literally ran like from my dorm to the tube station and then I ran from the tube to the train station and then I like ran from the train station to like my Uber and then I ran from my Uber inside and I was so petrified I was going to be late. Cause I got there like at noon and the press conference is supposed to start at noon. And I like ran to the press desk and I was like, my name's Ella Pearson and like a new badge. I know that I'm late. Can I still get in? Have they started? And there was a dude there who was like, they haven't started yet. They're running late. Follow me. And then I ran after him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was like, as I walked in, um, one of the hosts of the convention, I think his name was Tony Lee. He was just starting to say like, okay, here are the rules for what you can and can't ask them and like all that stuff. So I sat down right when that was happening. Um, and it was wild. I mean, they brought almost everyone on stage. Um, William Shatner was supposed to come on stage during the press conference, but he canceled, okay. um, which uh, didn't surprise me. <laughs> I thought it was a little bit too good to be true. Um, <laughs> but uh, almost everyone else came on stage. The enti- Almost the entire disco crew was on stage. The only person who was at the convention um, and that is on Discovery that didn't come on stage for the press conference was Shazad Latif because I think he was only there on Sunday, like signing autographs and stuff. I see. Um, but the disco crew, we weren't allowed to ask them any questions. Okay. Like none at all. Not even none at all. Like they huh. came on stage just to take pictures. Okay. So like they came on stage and then everybody um with like the big nice cameras like ran up to the stage and were taking pictures of them like being cute and sweet together on stage and they were kinda like goofing off with us and it was amazing. But yeah, we couldn't like they, they didn't have mics, they didn't have chairs, like they were not answering any questions and they didn't even the only people um who were on panels that weekend were um Jason Isaacs had two panels and um, Mary Chifo and Kenneth Mitchell um, who play Laurel and Cole. um, They had, I think at least one sort of like Klingon panel uh, at one of the smaller stages. Um, But nobody else was on stage to talk or like answer any questions. Okay. Um, But yeah, it was crazy. They also had um, Fred Hayes was there, who is one of very few people to have been on the moon. So he came out for the press conference and was answering questions. And he was very sweet. Um, And they did. um, There was literally so many Deep Space Nine guests there that they did like four rounds in a row of Deep Space Nine people. Like they would bring out like the Ferengi family and like Chase Masterson and they would answer questions. And then like. Okay. <laughs> um, Alexander Sittig and uh, Terry Farrell were on stage answering questions. It was very like, it was crazy and Do it, it was pretty shifts. fast paced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, when Nichelle Nichols uh, didn't come on stage, she I'm so I'm like worried about her. She wasn't feeling well hmm. that weekend. She ended up canceling on some of her like photo ops and her autographs. Um, I know, but I did see she did take some photographs and do some autographs, but she didn't come on stage at all over the weekend. Um, it's good that she got to make it. I, I heard that um, I, I was under the impression that Las Vegas was her last uh, con. She had made that announcement, but it's good to see that she was really to go. Yeah. When she was in Minneapolis, uh, I don't remember if it was this summer or last summer. I heard about it like super last minute and I was like, I have to go. And I like paid like. 90 bucks for like a day ticket like just to (laughs) get in to see her and then I paid for her autograph and I I last minute like got a photo op with her because I was like she's gonna stop doing these conventions like she loves us so much but she's just she's pushing it so hard it's like I mean she is so so sweet but she is (laughs) such an old grandma (laughs) yeah she's getting up there (laughs) 
Well, after the press conference, uh, you got to do some interviews with some of the DS9 cast. Yeah. Um, I So I ended up interviewing uh, Max Grunchik, who played Rom, and I interviewed um, Andy Robinson, who played Garrick. And they were both, like, even more amazing than I were hoping that they would be. They were both um, just, like, sweet, sweet grandpas, and they were both so nice to me. And um, we had, like, a really good time. Oh, one highlight with Max Grodenschick, um, he was talking to me about... Uh, like wearing prosthetics for the role and like what his outfit was like and sort of what it's like to act like an alien and be under all that stuff. Sure. And um, he wanted to go through like the Ferengi walk with me. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then <laughs> you describe to them what's going on. Okay. Um, so it was like this whole, like, <laughs> not like a scene, but it was kind of a scene like in the press room. Um, and I just felt so I was like glowing. I was having such a great time. And I was like, uh, everyone else is just sitting down with their guests like y'all are lame. And I'm amazing. Like Max Grunchik is teaching me how to walk like a Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was so sweet. Um, he also uh, he seemed to be um, interested in the fact that you uh, were from Minnesota and he had a uh, anecdote about going to the state fair as well when i they both asked uh right away where i was from people did that all weekend <laughs> um yeah. because as soon as i there weren't uh that many americans there it was very much like all of the guests were americans and then everyone who like paid to be there was from europe and from the uk okay and so whenever i started talking um people were like where are you from like why are you here like, did you fly all the way over here just for this and i'm always like no um but yeah, so uh, when Max asked where I was from, I said St. Paul, Minnesota, and he immediately said I was at the Minnesota State Fair in 1987. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, which is unreal uh, to me. But um, the price so yeah, of was... uh, the the milk truck was cheaper back then, I think. Yeah, for all the, he said all it was. He milk. said it was. Yeah, 25 cents. He was like, 25 cents for all the milk you can drink. And I was like, it is a dollar now. Yeah, inflation has affected that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about well, the, Inflation uh, has affected that a little bit. <laughs> you said that a lot of the, or most of the attendees were European or English. Uh, were there any other yeah. Americans there? I don't think I met another American, honestly. I think yeah. everyone I met was, um, I was hanging out with some girls from Austria and then I was hanging out with some uh guys from England but yeah everyone I met it was like it I mean it's to me it seemed like just the guests like the guests were all American obviously sure. or almost all American um and then I kept a meeting like especially when I had a, a lot of other like people from the press conference introduced themselves to me and they were all from the UK and they were all like, did you come over just for this? Like, what's the deal? Like people <laughs> yeah. seemed very intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to a couple um, guests from other places, uh, especially England on this show. And I always, I'm interested to hear how fandom is different or how it sort of expresses itself differently. Um, I know that, fandom in general has become just kind of generally homogenized at this point. Like you could go to, for instance, a uh, UK Trek convention and see the same <laughs> Spock ears and see the Discovery costumes and things like that like you'd see somewhere else. But in the past, the fandoms have been somewhat more circumspect than, uh, than Americans is what I gather. Like I talked to uh, Dr. Chris Dows, who's from the UK on this show, mm -hmm. and uh, he said that one thing that 
British people would never do is dress their pets up in costumes. Like you'd never see <laughs> a Captain Picard uniform like on a little schnauzer or something like that. That's too people, far. I mean, people people treat their I think people treat their dogs differently here. Oh really? Um <laughs> like their pets. Well, one thing is that like dogs in London are like off leash all the time. Okay. Um this is not on topic, but I just it seems like people people in America treat their dogs like they're their kids. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They're sure. like, this is my baby. So I put a costume on it. And here I feel like you love your dog, but it's an animal and you train it and it's well behaved. <laughs> yeah. And so you're not you're like, you're not going to dress it up like it's a kid. <laughs> yeah. Did you see a lot of cosplay there? There was tons. There was I, the amount of people who had, like full Ferengi heads on. Oh boy. Like prosthetic Ferengi heads was unreal. I mean, I saw at least four grand Neguses and like the first, I swear to God, the first 45 minutes. Okay. It was like everywhere you look, there was somebody with a Ferengi head. Um, I saw a guy who was cosplaying Spock um, from the original series and he was so, he was very tall and his resemblance to Leonard Nimoy I was so strong that it it startled me when I looked at him. That was unreal. People, I mean, there were there were lots of people wearing. There were people who had like big, um, like cardboard things on. Like somebody was dressed as Morn from Deep Space Nine, who's always in Quark's bar. But it was like this big cardboard thing. Um, but like that guy, he went to the red carpet of the doc premiere in that thing and was like taking pictures with the actors <laughs> in like this huge cardboard thing. <laughs> oh my god! No, there were there were lots of uh, disco cosplays though. I oh, would cool! Say. That's good. Yeah, um, I saw one. I've been following it uh, from here on social media, and I saw um, a really neat uh, Commander Arium uh, cosplay, and they had the whole oh like, really robot head and the makeup and everything and the helmet. Yeah. Oh my god! I did not see that. I think That's they were so posing crazy. with um, Mary Chifo. Mary Chifo has really leaned into this uh, social media thing. If you want to get a picture she... of uh, what thing, these cons and being being a Klingon on this show looks like, uh, she definitely posts. Mary a lot. Chifo, she, <laughs> I love her so much. It's like I have a lot of complicated feelings about Laurel, but the <laughs> second Mary Chifo started talking on stage, she is the sweetest person. Ever. I think she cried on every single one of her panels. Oh, no. <laughs> like, she was so, like, happy. She talked a lot about, um, like, how she and Sonequa, like, supported each other. And that made them, mm. like, both cry. <laughs> it was sweet. It, she is so sweet. She and Kenneth Mitchell both seem very, like, they are just headstrong into the Star Trek thing. Like, they're both excited to be on stage. Oh, yeah. Kenneth Mich Mitchell especially, it's like any chance he gets to speak in Klingon on stage, he, like, goes for it. <laughs> like, That's it was great. amazing. It was amazing. Also, I think I, I think I said earlier that they weren't really on stage. They did have a disco panel. Yeah. So they were on stage. <laughs> yeah. It was it was amazing. I'm still I'm still like decompressing from it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like I spent all day yesterday in bed and I didn't see any of my like friends here yesterday because I was just like sleeping all day and like I got in really late on on uh, Sunday. And then today I like saw my friends and we were like going out and we were going to class and I like was getting riled up again, like telling um, I, I have a very good story about William Shatner and I was getting like like 
hyped again talking about it because my friends were like so interested they're not nerds at all and they were like what did you do you did press you talked to who my dad knows who that is like my dad talks about that person (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so I'm in a like I feel like I'm in a very strange place I'm also used to going home after cons like usually I'll be like in my house like with my parents yeah um and so then I did feel I was like proud of myself. I was like, oh, I just want to go home and to have home be like my dorm room in London was really sweet. And then to like get to the train station and know like I walked straight to like Baker Street Station and got on the tube and knew exactly where I was going. Um, But yes, I'm just I'm still like I'm starstruck or something still. (laughs) I feel a little crazy. Well, let's talk about the documentary, the premiere of the documentary, What We Left Behind at the show. Uh, You got to attend that. You got to be on the red carpet as well and see the stars coming in. Uh, What was that like? (laughs) It was it was unreal. The whole the Deep Space Nine cast, they all seemed so happy to be there. They seemed happy to be there with each other. They were all very sweet. Um, I have never been to a red carpet before. And it was wild. There were lots of fans that were walking the red carpet too, but they were all like very sweet and goofing off with the press and stuff and like talking to the actors. Um, And then, I mean, I can't recommend the documentary enough. Like I was in tears for at least 50% of it. (laughs) (laughs) I swear. And the other 50%, it was like, I was just dehydrated. I was like, I need some water. Like, (laughs) It is, it is, it is amazing. Like if you like Deep Space Nine, definitely watch it. It was, it was a little, um, I mean, we've, we talk, I talk on podcasts about how, uh, it's strange being a young Star Trek fan. Um, because so I was alive when Enterprise was airing, but it was obvious, like I was pretty little and it was a little dark for me as a young kid. And so I didn't, I wasn't really watching that as it aired. So Disco has really been the first Star Trek series that I've been involved in, like, well, not involved, but I've been watching the creation of and like the drama and watching it every week as it comes out. And so to hear the actors and the showrunners talk about how much they struggled being like the middle child between next gen and Voyager mm-hmm. was uh, really, really strange for me. Like I didn't, I didn't really know anything about that. I didn't know. Um, I mean, I knew that people didn't like it, but I didn't know how much they really struggled with that. And I also knew they talked about um, Terry Farrell talked in the documentary and on stage about um, her decision to leave. Mm-hmm. And I guess I never really thought about it being anything more than like they killed uh, off Jadzia. Yeah, right, right. Those parts of it uh, were strange for me and made me sad. But I mean, the my my tears were were happy tears um, sure. because <laughs> the documentary was so much about like going back and like looking at it, and they do like a like a mock up of a like season eight episode one, and so. Um, watching, so there's footage like in the writer's room, like all the writers got back together. So watching them like sort of brainstorm and think about it. And then they do sort of um, like almost animations of um, like what this season eight episode one would be. And it was so real. Like I could just hear um, the Nav visitor, like I could hear all of the characters saying what they said would be going on. And it was just, it was so 
moving. And I mean, I mean, every Star Trek documentary makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm such a nerd, but um, it was just, I mean, it was beautifully done. And I think it was fantastic that um, I'm really glad that uh, the, the uh, showrunner Ira Staten Bear got to do it himself and take his time with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the interviews feel like it's not just like talking heads. It feels much more intimate and it's much more funny because they're like in this room with somebody that they did work with for all those years. And it, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny because Star Trek has been so important for so long. And I feel like there's been lots of, um, I don't know, um, hour long like whenever they i am a little older and whenever they would like rerun, <laughs> uh like whenever a movie would come out or they'd rerun some tng mm-hmm. there would be like mm-hmm. a featurette you know where they're interviewing jonathan frakes yeah. you know in a blazer yeah. or something like that and I, there's never been like a definitive like feature length documentary about um newer trek uh or even like tos yeah. i'm struggling to think of and so it's. I think it says yeah, a lot the about. Yeah, documentaries are more like they'll do a documentary, but it's like on the fandom, like yeah, Trekkies. Right. Right. Yeah. Like these crazy people with their ears. Yeah. <laughs> but it just it tells you a lot about, like you were saying, DS Nine, which is I think pretty much accepted and embraced and beloved by the fan base now. But it was just such a weird sort of animal at the time, and it was the. Um, I think Max Grudenjik uh, makes this. Uh, point in the your interview with him like it was just the writers like the writers knew what they were doing they knew where they were going yeah yeah and they had to sort of just pull it by like force of will and even this doc kind of got made that way too like yeah. Stephen bear is like we got to do this doc like we did a good job i want to remind everybody we did a good job so let's yeah. make a great documentary about it and then you know we'll get the fans to pay for it and so yeah i'm i'm, I'm happy to hear that it was great I, i've heard the same thing from other people on social media that it just uh, blew everybody away so i can't wait to get yeah it was it. really i mean and then well i think especially for me to be in that space with all of those fans i mean because almost everybody went like so many people were there mm-hmm. and then um to have the the actors there like to know that they were sitting like 10 rows in front of me was so wild for me and then to know that some of them hadn't seen it before for some of them it was their first time watching it so yeah so that was that was very moving and um part of the I learned this weekend that part of the draw of Destination Star Trek is that you're not allowed to videotape the panels so okay. the actors um end up being much more candid on stage. <laughs> okay. I heard a lot that I'd never heard before and never thought about. I mean Terry Farrell talking about how hard it was for her to leave and how she felt so like dismissed and she felt so much like they weren't listening to her. Mm-hmm. Um just like broke my heart. And then um, the other actor, she was, this was during her panel with Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn was talking about how uh, none of them knew, like nobody knew that Terry Farrell was in this weird back and forth with um, uh, CBS or whoever, you know, negotiates her contract. None of the actors knew that she was telling, you know, the execs that she felt like nobody was listening to her. And it, yeah. It's very, I mean, I feel like I'm making it sound kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a little sad when she talks about leaving the show. But, um, I mean, it's just really, it's a beautiful piece of work. And, yeah, I mean, Deep Space Nine was so, so good. And um, during the, uh, I remember during the press conference, uh, Chase Masterson said that she thought the reason why um, it did so well is because, because it was on a space station, um, 
they were able to like look inside of the characters like they were able to look inside of themselves as opposed to just like trucking forward and forgetting about whatever happened yesterday and just going out and exploring like they were to some extent exploring the gamma quadrant but they were exploring like the characters so like that much more yeah sure they can't just fly away at Um, the end when the credits yeah exactly exactly um but no it's it's very moving and so well done and yeah i mean i can't wait they were talking about the special features and i honestly cannot wait i'm gonna watch every single second of (laughs) that footage that i didn't get to see the second it comes out (laughs) well it sounds like you had a lot of fun did you have any other encounters or run into anybody else uh, over the course of the weekend um i i have a pretty good bill shatner story oh um please do tell Um, so he had two panels and the panels at destination, some of them were a little hectic because if you want to ask a question, it's more like you raise your hand and there's two crew members with mics and they sort of run around. Sure. And so in his first panel, I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to ask Bill Shatner a question. Cause I like, I, and so I got the attention of the crew member with the mic, but then they never came back. And that happened to me a couple times over the weekend where I was like, I'm going to ask Kate Mulgrew a question. And then they never come back. But then his second panel, they were like, we're going to have you get in line. Okay. So like two people got in line on either side. So there were four people in line total. And I was sitting in my chair and I was thinking, if I get in line right now, I'm going to be able to ask him a question. Um, And I was so terrified, but I got in line and I was thinking I had a question written down and I was going to ask him. I think I might remember it like word for word because I was so terrified I was going to forget it. I wanted to say that I think everyone here knows that Star Trek changes lives, but I'm not going to remember it word for word. I'm getting stressed, like thinking about standing in line is like (laughs) giving me anxiety because I was so, I was, I mean, I was shaking. Like it, I, it was bad. Um, But basically I was going to ask him why he thinks so many people still have such a visceral connection to the show and the franchise and why it's such a, um, it's such a family um, I think that Trekkies are like very much like their own thing. I think it's hard to find something similar to what you'll find. Um, yeah. uh, like that relationship, whatever it is, I don't know. So I was going to ask him that and I felt like it was a little cookie cutter, but, um, I just like wanted to hear him. I wanted to hear him say something about that and I honestly was just like I'm gonna cry when William Shatner starts talking about the effect of Star Trek um and I was like two seconds well not that's an exaggeration not two seconds um but I was getting very close to taking the mic and it being my turn and I don't know if I've talked about this on disco or enterprising individuals before I've I think I've, I've fangirled about Spock on the podcast but um Leonard Nimoy was, uh, like, in was and is, in all honesty, like, one of my biggest, if not my biggest role model, like, complete idol, everything. Um, and so I got, like, so close to the mic, and I was standing there, and I was like, I have to ask him about Leonard. Sure. Like, I can't just ask him. Like, this is the question that they ask at every press conference. I need to hear him talk about uh, Leonard. So I, the dude before, at the question before me asked some disgusting question to Bill about like, which like 
woman from the original series do you regret not spending more time with or like who would you go back and like spend time with again yeah and I was like this is disgusting but then Shatner was like um at first sort of just like teasing him but he and like he and then he talked for a while um but basically he talked like about the me too movement for a little bit and then was like so my my regret is not having been more respectful okay and then he turned to me and I was like so overwhelmed because I <laughs> I knew that I was going to have to hold back tears asking him about Leonard Nimoy. And now I'm so overwhelmed because he just said like the best possible answer to that question. And I was so glad that he answered that way. But so I have the mic and um, the dude who handed it to me was like, remember to introduce yourself, like introduce yourself. So I said, like, hi, my name is Ella. And he went, hi, Ella. And I was like, ah, hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said that uh, Leonard Nimoy was one of my biggest role models and um, that their friendship on and off screen uh, seemed so strong and had meant so much to me. And did he have uh, like a favorite story about Leonard that he would want to share with us? But um, and I'm I'm holding it together now. Thank God. <laughs> but um, it was very much like everyone in the room was like, is this girl about to cry? (laughs) Like it was, my voice was like, and it wasn't shaky again, thank God, or like quivering, but it was very, it was very emotional. It was a very emotional moment for me. And um, he kind of looked at me and he was like, thank you. Yes, I do. But, um, but why does that move you so much? Um, And it was like, all of a sudden, I was just having this conversation with William Shatner, like basically about how much like Spock and McCoy and Kirk meant to me and do mean to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is which is so unreal for him at a convention, I think, like he didn't really talk to anybody else like that. Like he was like, he would tease them a little bit or he would like, he would, you know, give them a, a very good answer to their question. But he was like talking back and forth with me about it sure. for like a while. Um, and it was just like, it was so, again, overwhelming and just such a, like a beautiful couple of minutes. Uh, it was just so nice to have that interaction with him where I was just saying, and I was talking about like, um, and now I have a don't tell anyone. I did take a voice memo of it. <laughs> but um oh you're not allowed to take videos, so I'm not gonna post it anywhere. But I said um that, you know, Spock struggled so much between being human and being Vulcan and that he had such a hard time uh I thought I felt like he had like a hard time making friends and being social and he was like kind of this outcast and he was bullied on Vulcan and whatever, but um, Kirk and McCoy just loved him unconditionally, even if they, you know, teased him or whatever. And it was just, it's a fantastic, th- I mean, the ori- it's the original series. like. Right, right. Yeah. And so then he was saying, he said, I think after I said like something about Spock being an outcast, he said um, something about me, like he asked about me like again. And then, or he, he said, oh, he said, you feel like uh, Star Trek fans, like, relate to Spock and relate to Star Trek because like they feel like outcasts and I was like I mean yeah (laughs) and 
then I said, it's hard to feel like that here when, you know, there's thousands of people here all for the same thing. And, you know, everyone's super nice and we all love each other. But like, I was watching the original series when I was in, like, when I was a a child, like nobody else in my second grade class was watching (laughs) the original series. I couldn't go to school and talk about, you know, my two favorite things in the world were probably Star Trek and like dinosaurs. And then a year later it was followed by like the Lord of the Rings, you know, it was never <laughs> right. And my friends, like I was always friends with like the girly girls. And so I was very much like tomboy weird kid. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was such a sweet moment. And then he was like, I am, he said, I'm so delighted that, that helped you that you feel like that helped you. And then he talked for a long time about like how, uh, hardworking Leonard Nimoy was and kind of, um, how similar they both were. And he kind of, uh, plugged his books to me. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of was like, I do, I write about Leonard in this and this. And I was like, thank you, sir. I know, but I'm standing right here. Um, but no, it was such a, I mean, it was, it was so great to have like this. And it was just, I mean, it was silent. There was probably a thousand people in there and it was like dead quiet. So it was so straight. It was like all of a sudden I was having just this quiet moment with like the dude that I've, I mean, like that I've watched on screen my entire life. I mean, the original series, I think maybe I watched the animated series for, I don't remember if I watched the animated series or the original series first, but it's like, that was the, that was the first, like, that was the spark that set the fire Yeah. <laughs> that led to me being here now, being a podcaster for six years and going to conventions and doing all of this. And so, um, it was just, yeah, it was, it felt very, it felt very special. <laughs> <laughs> There's no better time to retire. You should just quit right no, now. No, right at the top. I'm at the top. <laughs> yep. Just had a sweet moment with William Shatner. Leave on a high note. Leave on a high note. Retire <laughs> real quick before he um, goes back to being uh, an asshole on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And the next question is, uh, do you like green girls or blue girls better? And then we just yeah, get back in liter- there. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Or like, oh my God, one woman got up. This is for real. This woman, she got up. She was pro- I mean, she was probably older than Shatner and she was like, Mr. Shatner, I just want to ask you how you cope with being a sex symbol for all these years and for your entire life. (laughs) And I was sitting like five spaces from her and I was like, Jesus Christ, like head in my hands, like mortified. And she's like, woo. She literally like turned to the crowd and like put both of her hands up and was like fist pumping, like rallying the crowd. And people in the back were kind of like, like woohoo and it was just so oh my god it was crazy and then she did almost the same thing to poor old little walter koenig who is just (laughs) even more of a grandpa than bill shatner she's like you played Chekhov in such a sexy way and he's like oh um like uh, okay oh my god it was so wild but in the middle of all that (laughs) (laughs) right you got your moment. I had too. a very sweet emotional moment. Yes. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for updating us on the show. And thanks for representing enterprising individuals at Destination Trek. Remind people where they can find you online. 
Um, I am at Gondor Gold on everything, Twitter, Instagram, wherever. And then uh, my podcast, Generations Geek, is at Generations Geek on Twitter and GenerationsGeek.com. Um, and yeah, I'm about to, right after we record this, I'm going to record with my dad and talk more about the con and talk about um, seeing the Tolkien exhibit in Oxford. So that's coming up. And I know that he um, and Bill Leisner have a show coming up talking about uh, the new movie, First Man. Right. Okay. Okay. I got to try to beat them to press with this. I got to turn this around fast. <laughs> Get the scoop. Well, thanks again. Oh, thank you. Walter Koenig, sex symbol. Yeah, sure. He's quite a snappy dresser. As a matter of fact, you can see that for yourself in the pictures that Ella took while she was at Destination Trek. They're available on our website at enterprisingindividuals.com and maybe at some point in the future on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash EISDpod, if I can figure out how that works. Uh, Ella took pictures during the press conference and on the red carpet of the premiere and with Andrew and Max, and she documented the great encounter of our time, the irresistible force and the immovable object colliding, William Shatner and Jason Isaacs meeting on stage. Longtime listeners to the show will know of the special place in my heart for that craggy colossus, Jason Isaacs, and my segment, Isaacs, Antics. Where I chronicle the Ovidian exploits of Liverpool's most spine-tingling son. I've spoken more than once about the tension that has existed between these two men. Uh, basically just on Twitter, uh, in the digital realm, like the bard wrote, they never meet, but there's a skirmish of wit between them. Well, choke on your rough, Mr. Shakespeare, because at William Shatner's panel at this year's DST, Mr. Isaacs himself strolled on stage, clasped the Shat in a manly embrace, and told the crowd, This is my childhood hero. Enjoy him. And with his permission, they did. It's nice to see that spot of bother cleared up. Like the Federation and the Dominion, the galaxy would be devastated by a protracted war between those two, so it's nice to see them bury the Batleth in this manner. Ella mentioned learning to walk like a Ferengi, and we go now to her interview with that Ferengi, Max Gredenchik, a.k.a. Rom of DS9. They talk about the evolution of Rom as a character, Max shares his process of getting into the voice and the physicality of Rom, and Max pitches a Rom spinoff that frankly sounds fantastic. Uh, let's see, uh, Rom's trying to balance his duties as the Negus with family life, uh, his mother, she's always coming around, Meherdu and Zek, they open up a pizza place, it's, uh, it's always rainy on Ferenginar, you know, a sit-Rom. And if you're still listening after that, here's Ella's interview with Max Gredenchik. I was at the Minnesota State Fair in St. Paul in 1987. In 1987? That was 10 years before I was born. Wow, yeah. Was it still huge? It, it, was, uh, it was pretty huge, I thought. Yeah? yeah it was, I was very impressed. Was very impressed. <laughs> that's, what, that's what everyone says. They don't expect it from us. I went there, and there, were, and is, I, there was this, um, just people gathered, you know, yeah. the way that makes you want to go say, what the heck are they looking at? Yeah. And there was this pig, and, and, sorry, there was this cow, uh, and it had little cow babies uh, sucking on it, you know. So well, what's the what's the what's the what's the big deal, you know? <laughs> what's the big deal about cow babies sucking on their mom, you know? And then I looked at it, go, that's no cow, that's a hog. I said, holy moly, that is the biggest hog I've ever seen in my life. And it was indeed. And then I saw some big ones later on. <laughs> and I remember milk was twenty-five cents. All the milk you could drink for twenty-five cents. It's a dollar now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, 
Well, I'm glad you remember us for ago. something, even if it's a big pig. Uh, 87? 97? Yeah. Seven, 32 years? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I, I don't have much to say. I think you have some stuff to say. I think Aaron does and uh, Armin would. <laughs> I don't... I just listen to what they say, so... Yeah, you were a little quiet at the press conference. I did, you know, I just wanted to... Well... Are you, are you taping this? Are we yeah, taping now? Yeah, I mean, I started, so... You know, I wanted to say, uh, they, they asked what made DS9 so special. I, I remember an interview with uh, Ringo Starr on a, on a talk show, and they said, uh, the, the talk show host, I, I don't know who it was, but yeah. said, what, why were the Beatles so popular? And Ringo just said, well, I, I think we made some pretty good music. <laughs> and and uh, uh, on Deep Space Nine, I think we told some pretty good stories, and I think the writers, the writers, the writers, the writers, the writers, knew how to tell a story, make it interesting, make it exciting, make it relevant. It all comes from the writing. I'm, I'm not, I, you know, if I, you know, without the writing, I'm just an actor going like, you won't hear anything out of my mouth. Anyway, so. Okay, well, starting with the press conference, the question I asked um, when you were on stage, which I think is why you recognized me, is given the timing of the documentary and our socio-political climate, what do you think the lasting legacy of DS9 is and how has it stayed relevant? Do you have an answer that uh, you weren't able to give on stage? No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know the answer. I don't have an answer to that. How? Uh, uh, Again, writing. Just that's what good good writing stays. Yeah. Good writing is rel- You know, Shakespeare's plays are still. Just ask Armin about Shakespeare's plays. Yeah. They are as relevant today as when they were written. So, I just, I just, if I can get away with saying um, that the writers knew something about about how to how to make a, tell a story. Well, there is no wrong answer. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> that gives me some freedom. <laughs> Rom's character goes through some incredible changes over the course of DS9. Did you have input into the direction the character would end up going, or did your portrayal affect how the writers developed him? No. Uh, when you're an actor in Los Angeles, you're just kind of happy to have a job. You know, you don't think too much beyond that. Oh, job? Yeah, you know, um, it's like you know, like a like a dog with a bone. You know, I want that bone, and uh, uh, and, and you get the bone, and you don't think about what the bone means or its relevance or anything like that. And then, and then a strange thing happened. They, I mean, they called me in once to play uh, Rom as the croupier, I think he was, uh, the, the very first episode, the pilot. And I didn't, had no idea I'd be back. And then they called me back, and I, then I was Nog's father, Rom. I had her, I had her name. And um, no, I had no idea where, where it would go, uh, none whatsoever. And then they had me, they had Ram start to stand up for himself and, uh, and to support his son who wanted to go to Starfleet Academy. It's really kind of, it's not, this is, Aaron, this is not televised, but it brings a little bit of a tear to my eye, the way, the way Ram, Ram finds out that Quark has sabotaged Nog's uh, uh, Starfleet Academy exam, that's sort of an entrance exam. And, and he, he finds Quark in a hallway in a, one of those long corridors and he's waiting for him and he grabs him by the lapels and he says, I know what you did. I know what you did. If you ever do anything to hurt my son again, I will burn the bar to the ground. And 
that was Rom standing. That was that was the first time Rom ever stood up for anything, and uh, so better for me to leave it to the writers. I would never have thought of that. I, I would never have. I, I, you know, like I, I said, they, they I, 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 you know, I get, they send me a script and I read it and I do what's mine and um, I don't have a writer's imagination. Were you surprised when Rom makes those big steps, like um, his talent with engineering and defending his son? Yeah, I was shocked. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, friggin' yeah, I was surprised. Can I say friggin'? Yeah. I, I, I was shocked. I was, I was. Wow, this is. This is this is incredible that they're uh, that they're doing this. And then I would think when that was over, okay, well, Rom stood up for uh, for, for Nog, and you know that's the that's the end of it. Then they'd give me something else. They'd give me Lita the Dabo girl. You know, Rom gets Lita the Dabo girl. Rom Rom forms a union. I mean, talk about stick, speaking up for uh, uh, others. Yeah, and so I think there's some truth in the uh, truth in the in the way they told the story that you know it's. You may not be able to stand up for yourself, but you could see where you get a better perspective on where someone else is being uh, given a raw deal, and you can stand up for them. You can stand up for others more easily than you can stand up for yourself. And I think that's what Rom does. He starts to stand up for others, and then when he gets the job with uh, uh, and, and quits Quark's Bar, working at Quark's Bar, I think he's standing up for himself there. And he, he's standing up for himself there. Excuse me. And. Um, it's what a what a uh, what a gift! What a gift to be able to play those different things, be in love. I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I grab Quark by the friggin' lapels, you know. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Lita and kiss. I get kissed by Lita, and I, man. And and then at the uh, very close to the end, I become the Grand Negus of the Ferengi Empire. Anyway, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to wax uh, nostalgic. <laughs> You had to wear extensive prosthetics for your role. Is acting or the process of preparing as an actor different when you're covered in silicone and your call time is hours before you start filming? Well, uh, there's a bunch of work that's already done for you. Like, because of the way, because of the, way the teeth uh, cut off your, your, your voice, because with, with, with the teeth in my mouth, I would sound like this. Yeah. Because of that, you start to talk from the back of the throat and everything gets enunciated much more, much more slowly and it kind of informs on what the character is. It, kind of, it, you, you, it makes him slower because he has to enunciate and the only way to do that is to take a little bit of time and that irritates quark to no end he can't get an answer as quickly as he would like it and and it makes um i'm sorry i got you can't see in the audience but i got my, my saliva is on my fingers um the mark of good acting so that's one thing also, the, the, the uniform, the, the things you wear are kind of snug-fitting because, uh, well, that's, the, that's fashion in the 24th century. Uh, and, and, and you walk a certain way. It, 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 it makes you walk a certain way. So that I'll, show, I'll demonstrate. You can, you can describe it. Yeah. You can describe it. Okay, about to see the famous walk. It's a shuffle. It's the Ferengi shuffle, and it's quick. It's a quick shuffle. Yeah. 
It's the walk of somebody who wants to catch up to, to someone else, but yes. doesn't want to scare them yes. or startle them. It's exactly what it is. It's quick. Yep. It's a very stiff because the, um, the, because the wardrobe kind of, it's just the way the wardrobe, um, what's the word, forms around you. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the right, <laughs> my English is not so good. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're an actor. You're not in the costume department. Does that answer your your question? Yeah, that was a fantastic answer. The, the wardrobe restricts you. That's, yes. that's in, yes. in a good in a way that helps. And I, and I learned early. You see, I had my own ideas about playing a Ferengi, but I learned early on to to use what I was given. It makes it much easier. So, so the restrictive I could use the restrictive war, restrictive wardrobe yeah. to, um, to 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 help shape the character. I'm just fascinated by that comment. I have no... That was a, that was a fun time for me to learn how to walk as a Ferengi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Ram and Lita were such an interesting couple, but we don't see much of them in the later seasons. Um, were there any proposed storylines following their life together? Like human or Ferengi kids? Uh... <laughs> No, there was a story where uh, Nog's mother comes back, and I don't know where that was. Season six, maybe. There was a story. Uh, Ram's mother is visiting the station, and wants uh, basically wants. I, I think it was uh, that Ram should should take care of her and give her money. She, she she was yeah. She was not she was not a nice person, and uh, and Lita was involved in that story. I remember, and so was Armin uh, Quark. And Nog, of course, um, but nothing ever came. They, I think, they had an A story, and we were the B story. And they, they, and I don't remember really what it was, but they, they, um, the A story got bigger and bigger, and so that was the end of that. Well, um, where do you think that they would be twenty-five years later? Living happily ever after. Can I say that? No, I, I think, um, I think Lita was a part of the of Rom's fight to stay in power. I think there was probably a big fight over Rom, uh, uh, how Rom stays in power. That would have been the, that would have been the Ferengi, the Rom spinoff. You know, Grand Nagus Rom. The spinoff. Yeah, and people, he would have formed, had to form factions with people who could support him and that kind of thing. It would, very politi- it would be very political. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, have you seen Discovery at all? I have. I enjoy it very much. Yeah. You did? Should I be honest? Be be so honest. No, I, uh, no, I don't want them to dish our show, so I don't want Listen, that. constructive criticism is always appreciated. And I say this on behalf of, I'm, you know, I know Sonequa personally. I Who don't. Do you know? I don't. <laughs> on behalf of Sonequa, I can tell no, you that I you can't. can be as honest as you no, want. I, no, I like the show. I love what they did with it. I thought they made a, uh, I thought it was really uh, uh, original what they did with it. Yeah. And they went a different, you know, in a different, it's different. It's a very different kind of trek. Uh, I just thought that that mirror thing went on uh, a little too long for me. That's all. Yeah. a little too long for me. So if you could change one thing, it would just be change the mirror. just don't, don't do. <laughs> we have no, no. Well, let's do. What did you want to see more of? Not what you wanted to see less of. What did oh, you want to see more of? Well, you know. Uh, oh God, I don't know the character names, but the <laughs> cap, okay. the captain, yes. the captain. Mm-hmm. They killed her off. They killed her off very quickly. They did, yeah. Uh, and uh, Michelle Yeoh. And when when does she come back in the in the in the um, um the mirror version of her character? In the mirror, the, yeah, yeah. I 
So, th so they knew they were doing the mirror when they killed her off? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would like to have seen more of her in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. I like her very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Me too. I think a lot of people share that view with you. Do, is that true? I think so, for yeah, sure. Yeah, she was killed off too soon. Yeah, yeah. it happened I thought it was very, very I thought it was very dramatic, but yeah. I would like to have seen more of her. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did get the official signal to wrap up. Really? Um, so <laughs> it, was, it was over your shoulder. It was, it was very quick and professional. You know where to look. I don't. I mean, I was just going to ask what you have going on right now, if you wanted to say anything to, you know, our listeners. Hi, listeners. Hi. Max Grudenchik here. And Ella is doing a great job, um, and I—it's—it's—I it's, I would like for this to go longer, um, but uh, she was given the signal to wrap up, and I don't know. I wish you could call in and ask questions that, that I wouldn't answer. <laughs> it was a great gig, Deep Space Nine. Uh, in summary, it was a great gig, Deep Space Nine. We had fabulous writers. I, the writers cared so much about the show. I could call them. I, if I didn't understand something in the script, I would go over to Judy, our, our um, uh, script coordinator, uh, fabulous, fabulous script coordinator, and and she would she would look at it and she would either explain it to me in, uh, as best she could, or she would say, you know what, I don't know what they meant by that. I'm going to call the writer's office, and then they'll call back and you can talk to them. And then she would do that, and they would call and they would explain what they meant by that. I thought that was incredible because they cared about the show. Yeah. Every line, every word. You know, on, 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 uh, on our series, and I think on all the Star Trek, you, you cannot change a word of the script. You shoot it until you get the, the, the lines perfectly. And Judy would say, what was her, I forgot what she would say. She would say something, it was memorable, but uh, I can't remember it at the moment. Dead Letter Perfect, she would say, DLP. She would say DLP, and when she said DLP, Dead Letter Perfect, we would move on to the next shot, and not before she said DLP. So that is a tribute to how important the writing is in uh, uh, the, the Star Trek franchise. And I think it's a tribute to Roddenberry. I think that's what he's, a tradition that he started. Because the writer wrote this and we should say it like the writer wanted it. All right, well, somebody else is waiting for you. But um, thank you so much. This is so fantastic. Ella, you made it so easy. Thank you so much. Um, cut the stuff that where I'm babbling and... And keep the stuff where I sound er er erudite, if that's a word. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> it is. It, it is. Thanks so much to Max. He, he's, he's humble to a fault, but for my Latinum, he's, he's really one of my favorite, if not my favorite characters on the show. His delivery, his physicality, and his characterization, it's like he says, you know, he went from a one-off character to a mainstay on the show, and the writers kept growing the character and giving things to him, and it's all because of how strong and hilarious he was in the role. So thanks, Max, for working so hard at it and making it seem so frigging easy. And I hope I made you sound smart in the interview. Well, hi, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, Ellis said that you would make me sound smart and her smart, but I'm more concerned with myself. We have an abundance of episodes related to Deep Space Nine in our catalog, particularly this year. A lot of people wanted to talk DS9, and that's always a good thing. Um, this might not be a Garrick or a Rom episode, but Duet is one of my personal favorites. And it's one of the first episodes of DS9 where the show, it really starts to lean into its premise. And it starts clicking and it features great work by Nana Visitor and guest star Harris Yulin. Why do I mention it? <laughs> Two reasons. 
We have an episode about Duet on which I talk about the episode with New York Times bestselling author David R. George. You can find that on our website or in the show feed. And I finally reached Duet in my DS9 rewatch recaps, which I'm doing on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. Every week, every week or so, basically, I'm rewatching another episode of DS9 in order from start to finish, giving my thoughts and speculations and a few interesting facts on the episode. And those episodes are available to patrons or our crew members of the show. Just go to patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. And for a small contribution, you too can join the crew of the show and get access to exclusive subscriber content like our live shows. We just did a live show with screenwriter Melinda Snodgrass, writer of the TNG episode, The Measure of a Man. Uh, Ella was a part of that. We've also got episode commentaries like our latest commentary for The Cave. There's sneak peeks at what's coming up on the show and more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod and become a member of the crew today. I should also mention that you can see video of that live episode with Melinda Snodgrass, uh, which was recorded at Convergence 2018 on our Facebook at facebook.com forward slash EISTpod. In that video, I'm wearing a shirt with the face of Gowron. You know that you know that face that he makes. With the slogan, it is a good day to I. That shirt and other shirts and merchandise are available on our Tee Public store. Search for Just Enough Trope, that's our parent network, on tpublic.com, or click through our link in the show notes for Trekwear from enterprising individuals. And that's it. I think we covered all the bases. I hope we did. How many bases are there in cricket? There's no bases. I I just want to thank Destination Star Trek for a great show this year. And I want to thank Ella as well for doing such an amazing job as our cubby reporter at the con. Ella is going to be back on the show this November 8th for the next Discovery short trek, Calypso. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, Discoverage, our Star Trek Discovery recap show, will go live on Spreaker and on Twitter at 9 p.m. Central Time on Thursday the 8th of November, just after Calypso airs. We do a, uh, you know, a talking trek kind of thing. You get it. And we discuss the episode and our thoughts on it. I'll be joined by Ella and special guest Thaddeus from the Delta Flyer podcast. So watch the short trek Calypso November 8th on CBS All Access at 8.30 p.m. Then 9 p.m. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook at EIST Pod and join our live show to talk about Calypso. We'll be back next Wednesday for our Halloween episode. So we'll see you then. And until then, live long and prosper. Oh, no.